Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sail og velkommen i vindbikaren et hiti Charlie. Og ek hana og vid elm tvu og tutuka endelasa ap holds is kumbokina oka en i feta sin met oknu afengi og tonchni. I petinam i dak erem vio eo lehut lisa kafla. Og atta af Harry Potter og half blood and prince That's what that one was. Svo nel du bear a glass a apaholds a finger drunknum pinug og taktu pat i pesu drunkna fedalagi sem mina apig. And here's how that intro should sound in Icelandic. Hallo og velkommen i Goblet of Wine, drukken Harry Potter podcast. Vi er Hanna og Charlie, og vi er om 2021 okkar, en að þessu sinni með aukna áfengi og tortryggni. Í þættinum í dag erum við að leysa 2018. kapla Harry Potter og Hálfblóðprinsinn. Svo næltir í glas að uppáhálfs áfangadrykkunum þínum og taktu þátt í þessu fyrli sem minnir á ferðina. Great episode. <laughs> Hello. Hi. We're back. Charlie has asked not to do this five times in the lead up to recording this. She turns to me earlier and said, what if I quit the podcast? What if I killed myself? There's nothing even that bad going on this episode. She's just in a mood. We're both in a mood. Not in a mood. I'm warm. I'm sweaty. It's actually no way near as bad in here as it was earlier. Like, I'm okay sitting still now. Yes. But I'm still hungover, tired. I'm on my period. So that's fun. I'm all of the good emotions and things and... We're so excited to be here. how pretty you look. She's got to show the people your little ribbon in your hair. And this, this guy I picked up with you. We really want someone to, like... You know when people make those like fan edits and like ship edits? I want someone to make one of all the times we look in love with each other. Because there is so many. There's so many. There's one, there's been one serious one since I started video, which I edited together really funnily, where it was like, yeah. And it was one of us looking and then looking away and the other one looking and looking yeah. away. But yeah, why has no one made fan cam edits? Because you could, this, this was the perfect, we're just baiting you at this point. This is queer baiting. We're like the writers of Supernatural. That's how you get views. Well, that's all I know. You've got to queer bait to get views. So yeah. let's do that. 
Let's make one of our outro bits. We just scissor. So Charlie, how are you? We've covered this. I'm very moist and I'm not happy about it. These look so exciting. People are amazing. We do not deserve this. Also, just to say, because I do feel like it's actually, you'll see in the next episodes and episodes to come, this is now going to go into season seven, the amount we've been given. Don't feel if you visit us from somewhere or or meeting people who are going to give us stuff, you have to bring us stuff from your country. Like it's wonderful if you do. It's so sweet of you, but please never feel pressure to, um, because I worry people do. I know people are just being generous and kind, but it's it's so generous. It's such a wonderful privilege that we've gotten to try just so many alcohols from different places. It's so much fun. I know it's it's so much fun. I was actually thinking the other day, we're gonna have to start paying really close attention and putting a cut off or doubling up if people have doubling up with yeah. a patron and someone sending us one yeah um because yeah we've got a lot come in that people have given to us by hand which then is basically at the same level if someone is as patreon one because yeah. someone has kindly managed to get us stuff but yeah with one season to go gonna have to be careful this episode if you couldn't tell it's Icelandic themed. All this stuff is from our wonderful listener, Jasmine. So Jasmine lives in Iceland and very kindly arranged a giant package to be sent to us, which is just the sweetest thing. We have, right, what have we got? We've got a shot that we're going to do later that's called Brenavine. It is a snap, which you should drink as shots. It's not very nice. Sorry about that. But it's a traditional, but it's tra- traditional Icelandic. Normally we drink it with a rotten shark. Yes, you read that right. Rotten shark. It's absolutely disgusting, but a very traditional Icelandic thing to eat. I was actually trying to send you a sample as well, but it needs to be cold and I was not sure it will survive the shipping. Not only that, that would definitely get held up in customs if you tried to send us a rotten shark. I mean, I'm so relieved that they couldn't send it because there's no way I want to eat that. I'm sorry. Iceland. Um, however, I'm also gutted because could you imagine the like the story that gives you when people are like, oh the podcast, yeah. What's like, the what have you, you done? Get, like, what's the weirdest thing you've been sent? And we're like, like rotten, rotten shark. shark. I've been to Iceland and I didn't meet any rotten shark. I'm not surprised, no. honestly. I'm sure it's a lovely delicacy. I don't want any part in that. Jasmine herself says it's disgusting. So lucky you, you don't need to try it. Instead, I send you a bunch of Icelandic candy. Enjoy it. I hope you both like licorice. It's basically in everything here. One of my (laughs) favourites is the chocolate hran. Hran is Icelandic word for lava, which means lava chocolate. And the interesting thing about it, the chocolate has the geological correct structure of a lava flow. Layers inside with a rough structured outside. So it's geologically correct chocolate. Sorry that I get excited about rocks. I'm a geologist and I love tiny things like that. You're a geologist who lives in Iceland. That's the best place to be a geologist. I want to be your friend. That's amazing. If you ever come to Iceland, I can show you a bit around. I own a tourist company that offers geological day trips. Guys, if anyone listening uh, wants to to Iceland, if anyone listening ever visits Iceland, please hit up Jasmine um, because she sounds wonderful. No, but let's go on a podcast trip to to Iceland. Iceland. can try and find a connection there like we can eat rotten shark yeah the other alcohol i send you is my favorite drink it's bacardi 
Raz. I didn't bring it in here. I just poured it into the glass. Um, it's basically like raspberry flavored Bacardi. Um, mix nice. it with Sprite. Didn't have my Sprite uh, to drink it as a long drink. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh. 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 That's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Mm. Like that. Good one. Finally, a nice drink. Yes. This is a Sambo, the flavour of traditional Prister. Oh, let's try first. Can I have some of that? I don't want a whole one right now. I'm really full. Oh. Oh, that's so weird. Oh, my God. Texture's weird. That texture is oh. so satisfying. Is it licorice and chocolate? Yeah. Look. Oh, it's weird. Oh, it's bizarre. The flavours keep changing in my mouth. It's so weird. Mm. Not in a bad way. I'm not a licorice person, but... Yeah, it's. I don't hate licorice, but it's not my favourite thing. Lava? I'm really excited for this one. Same. Mmm, mm. that's nice. Thank you so much, Jasmine. That is just unbelievably kind of you. Yeah. Should we do some shout-outs? Yeah. So, we've got some new patrons to welcome. A meteoric size thank you to Mike. A tadpole size thank you to Tess. An eagle size thank you to Erin. A Niagara Falls size thank you to Nida. A maiden Chelsea size thank you to Maddie. An always sunny size thank you to Sunny. An Iceland size thank you to Isabel. A match.com size thank you to Maddie. Two Maddies in one week. Oh yeah. Isn't that nice? Different spellings. Maddie friends. Noise, noise. Do you want to read our review? Yeah, we have a review. It's a really long one, so so sit tight, guys. No. Yes, yeah, grab a cup of tea. In. You're gonna ha you're gonna want something to get you through this long review. This review comes from Anima Unicorn. The reviews from Iceland. Stop it. That's creepy. I didn't do that on purpose. Wow. Anyway, Anima Unicorn from Iceland said, "Me loves it. Five stars." He um, loves you. <laughs> we did uh, another Q&A. Oh, which... not this one. You say, oh, not this one. This one has some hysterical answers. It does. We asked, because of a tangent, Neil went on, how many vegetables do you think you could hold at once? Someone replied, aubergine emoji, peach emoji, cherry emoji, chili emoji, at least this many with like a winky devil face. Someone's roasting us for the fact they DM'd us a year ago. We didn't reply yet. Sorry. Someone, I love this, has put as many as it would take to only make one trip from the car. That's absolutely so valid. Someone said hella bow truckles. Immeasurable amounts. That's not a vegetable. Please don't eat bow truckles. Eat them, eat them, eat them. Someone said probably 36. I can hold 14 cherry tomatoes in my mouth and at least 11 in each hand, maybe even and one in each ear and belly button, but I won't push it. That sounds like a lot of porn I've watched. <laughs> Someone said 69, obviously. Someone says, depends what counts as vegetables. Are beans veggies? If you mash those mini potatoes and rolled it into a big ball, do the individual used potatoes count? But I'm going with 200 mini mashed potatoes. I like the logic here. You're thinking in a Taskmaster style way and I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I just want to take a moment of appreciation for just some of the names of people that reply to us. There's Hive Mind of Evil Bats, Frog, squid with like a gritty face. Someone's just 11. 
Fiona says, depends. If it's broccoli, probably 72. Squash, most likely three. Don't ask me where the exact numbers come from. Someone said a thousand pieces of sweet corn. That one's smart. Glass Rosie 10 says, obviously it depends on the type, on the type, but cherry tomatoes, including all pockets, 112. But in my hands, maybe 30. But with cabbages, maybe six. I have big hands. Someone said, why is Hannah literally Emma Stone? <laughs> <laughs> Emma Stone does that all the time. Yeah, I know. That's such a big compliment. And like, I I'm honestly blown away at. by the compliment. I don't think I look like Emma Stone in the slightest, I, but that's I, so I kind. I don't think you do, but I see where they're coming from, if that makes sense. The real question is, is that new song that's coming out on Speak Now Taylor's version that has Emma in the title to do with Emma Stone? Which Emma's it to do with? I don't know. That's the big question. Chapter 28, Flight of the Prince. You know what would help? Well, I got my notes up. Would help you, yeah. So the spell, the body buying curse, leaves Harry, but he's in complete shock. He is just standing there like, oh, oh my God, obviously. And then he kind of leaps into action. And the last Death Eater is leaving. And he then uses the body buying curse on him, which I find interesting because even in this moment of absolute anger, like the most angry he's ever been in his life, he only uses like a, a a safe spell on the Death Eater. And he is he does then go on to use unforgivable curses later on Snape. But I feel like now Harry's in a position where he's only going to use them if he really, really needs to. And this is kind of the start of book seven, Harry, where he only uses like safer spells that stop people fighting. I think that by book seven, he's just forgotten every other spell that is really quite possible what if you did just wake up one day like i just can't remember them god yeah that's awful there's a line and i don't know why but it just made me giggle when i was listening to the audiobook he had to get to dumbledore he had to catch snape <laughs> and it just really made me laugh because for a second i thought it was gonna be he had to get to Dumbledore. He had to catch Dumbledore. And I was like, I think you're going to be a bit late. Like mate. a cartoon where he's running before Dumbledore hits the ground. Like, yeah. oh, I got you. <laughs> Harry actually dies by Dumbledore flattening him to death. Yeah. Especially because Harry's about yay tall and Dumbledore's over six mm. foot. Or Harry gets confused and thinks that he's Spider-Man and jumps out the window to like catch Dumbledore. And then he's like, Shit. Shit. <laughs> Harry is in denial kind of along with the reader. Um, he thinks this can be reversed. He's like, no, no, no. If I can if I can catch Snape, then then Dumbledore will be fine, which is what we were talking about at the end of the last episode of the wise old magician always comes back. So it's kind of playing into your expectations of no no no. He's he's fine. There yeah. will be a way to fix this because he's fine. As we said, no body, no crime. No body, no crime. I hope some people noticed and appreciated certain things about the last episode. Certain special things. It then says that when Harry's running, to get to the bottom of the tower, he leaps down 10 steps, which like, what if you broke your ankle? This would just be the worst time to break your fucking ankle. <laughs> kind of really funny. Yeah, though. like absolutely like ridiculous. Like, just I'm going to do it, useless. I'm going to catch it. <laughs> Yeah. It's quite interesting. It's like, this is the first time we see like a battle at Hogwarts. Yeah. Like, I don't know why I find that so... It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Like we kind of talked about it in the last episode, how it's like the safe space and stuff. Yeah. But... Which is why I think the end of book seven is so harrowing because like you're taken through all these rooms and corridors that you have got so used to. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of... 
the thing it, it does feel like an invasion because like at the end of the day the harry potter books are written in a way where hogwarts feels like your home so it does feel very like no how dare you get out no you can't mm. do this and it's also one of those things where it just feels like it should have happened sooner like i but don't know it was always hagrid always says that it was dumbledore keeping hogwarts that safe so yeah no for sure but like i don't know when you're like this far into and you're like at the end of book six and it's the first time there's an actual battle at hogwarts yeah you're like just feels like it should have happened sooner but mm-hmm. yeah harry fights off gray back in like one-to-one combat which pretty impressive like gets gray back off then manages to get amicus off Ginny. And Ginny's like, what the fuck? Where did you come from? Who? What? And mm-hmm. then Ron is described as in one-to-one combat with a Death Eater next to McGonagall and Lupin or Tonks. And I really like this positioning of the DA members, especially like Ron, who is often like the worst out of people at the same level as the Order members of like in one-on-one combat with the Death Eaters. Like it, it, we're now at a grown-up level where they're fighting alongside the adults, you know? Yeah, I also find it like kind of weirdly out of character that it's like and Ron's suddenly good enough to battle a Death Eater but like I wonder if it's a certain amount of like unreliable narration from Harry that he's like um I'm actually the best I'm actually amazing uh Ron is crap yeah defense against the dark arts like, and it's like Ron's actually so probably bad. better than average at defense against the dark arts a hundred percent but like yeah I wonder how much of it is like that un- unreliable narration where it's like obviously against harry and hermione he might not seem that good but like at the end of the day we know all of his brothers are very competent at magic like why wouldn't he be well this is the thing i think obviously ron's jealousy is unfounded a lot of the time it's his worst character trait although it makes him a very well-written character but at the end of the day he's always going to come across as the worst in front of harry and hermione that is consistently unfair like not unfair at the end of the day that happens in life but you can see how that would grate on you yeah and i also think that like just because he's not good at essays doesn't mean that he's not like a powerful wizard and yeah. good at magic like the skills of like abracadabra is very different than tappity tappity you know <laughs> abracadabra tappity tappity the two genders yeah <laughs> Hi everyone, Editing Hannah here. Um, A joke is about to be made, which I have messed up on because I cut the context... Oh look, it's Neil's head. (laughs) I cut the context of it out of the last episode accidentally. It didn't really make much sense in the episode and I was worried it came across wrong. Essentially, I was joking about... And now I'm going to have to explain it because what we now joke about is so funny. So apologies in advance for how messed up this is, but I can't retroactively retroactively add it into the last episode. I was joking in the last episode about how Amicus and Electo are called lumpy potato sacks. And that joke got linked to the comment Charlie made that we can never tell which one is which and they're both just non-binary and I cut it out because I didn't think it landed very well it made it sound like I was calling non-binary people lumpy potato sacks so that is about to feed into this joke here to clarify non-binary people are not lumpy potato sacks I'm so glad you clarified that Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> so I cut that out, but this feeds into this bit, which is very funny. So I'm sorry about that, but here we are. With as we established, non-binary people being lumpy potato sacks. 
what I said. Abracadabra, tappity tappy, or lumpy potato sack. <laughs> Thank you. Three yourself. genders. <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone on Discord. <laughs> are you? <laughs> tappity tappity. We're not going to tell you what any of them are. No, no, Use no. just your you just, gut feeling. It's what speaks to you. Abracadabra, tappity tappity, lumpy potato sack. I think I'm lumpy potato, potato sack. sack. Today I'm lumpy potato sack. Yes. <laughs> Most days I'm lumpy potato sack. <laughs> Professor McGonagall is bossing it though. Not only is she like winning the hand-to-hand combat, she's shouting shit after them. She's like, take that, take that, get out, go, run, bitch. <laughs> if I was a wizard in a battle, I would absolutely be making my own sound effect. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> no, the time when we were like, Anna, what noise does it like? They save a mate. You're like, pew, pew. <laughs> we were just in the middle of like, was it a pizza place? Yeah. Or just crying, laughing. Because I'm holding like, an umbrella and go, pew. <laughs> Do you actually know though? It's like Yeah, that's what I did. No. (laughs) Neville is on the floor. He has been injured, but I love the way that even though he's been injured, he still has the sense to give Harry the information he needs. Like he knows that Harry isn't like Harry's bending down to check him in, and Neville's like, I just saw Snape and Draco run over. Like they're they've gone that way. Like mm. this is where you can tell like Neville is coming into the person he's gonna be in book yeah. seven. Like he like when Neville's in battle mode, he's a leader. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think it's in the next chapter. I did the thing where because I was listening to the audio, but I did not clock when this chapter actually ends, so my notes just run onto each other. Yeah. But I think it's in the next chapter when they have like a massive discussion and everyone's basically like I thought Snape was like going after Draco. I thought he was getting Draco out. Like all of these like point of view that no one suspected anything of Snape. Neville clearly did. Because he had the like wherewithal smarts to and the smarts, yeah. Tell Harry. And, and he also I like, think I think Neville understands Harry, like on a very oh, yeah. serious level. Like he he trusts Harry implicitly as well. Like so because he didn't even, Harry wasn't even the one to send Neville out. Neville felt the coin go, was told the information by Ron and Hermione, and yet still, like, trusts Harry enough to put his own life in danger. Yeah. Love Neville! Literally. I always wonder, I can't work it out, whether Hermione and Luna come and join this fight, or they're stuck downstairs the entire time. Because in the next chapter, we learn that they were the ones on Snape. Hmm. And then Flitwick comes in to tell Snape information. Flitwick yeah. is stunned. But what I can't tell is whether once they get Flitwick back up, because Flitwick runs to join the battle, whether they follow him or they're still downstairs. It's not really made clear. Because yeah, no, they're not know. mentioned. But I feel like they'd be like, they wouldn't just be chilling in the dungeons. Like, so should we just wait to see what happens? They were actually just scissoring. Checks out. I I would ship that as like a enemies to lovers. Oh be so cute yeah. bet there's fan fictions about that i oh. mean there will be yeah no so harry then runs through the castle and i find it interesting he runs past ernie with a group of hufflepuffs because you know at this point we realize that ron, uh, ron that neville has joined from the da but in running past ernie in his pajamas we know that ernie didn't and no other da members are mentioned which harry kind of says in a bad way at the end of the book like they were the only ones that cared enough but also that like needed it as friendship but i do actually feel 
sorry for Ernie and the others who didn't join in in the way that the guilt from this must eat at them every day and I think must then feed into why one of the reasons why they are so into the DA in book seven like as we learn at the end mm. of the book like can you imagine the guilt you would feel like when you wake up the next morning and learn your head teacher died a few of your classmates were the only ones trying to stop what was happening and you technically got the message and didn't see it yeah shall we do the shot I kind of want to get it over with fine Brennevin. do you know one of the issues with this podcast we started it when we were so much younger and our livers were so much more vibrant we're too old for this shit now. We're only 28, Han. Yeah, but do you know how damaged your liver is by 28? I don't know, because I, I don't drink, so, you know, mine's impeccable. I love the way that climbed <laughs> against your teeth. <laughs> That's revolting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a massive fan of licorice anyway, but something about licorice-based alcohols is so much worse. Is it's it really... fun? Do you guys enjoy watching this? What if one day we found out... <laughs> Sorry, speaking to the microphone podcaster of like five years. What if one day we found out that no one actually like enjoys our discourse or humour or anything and everyone just violently hates us and only watches to see us Suffer. in pain? I'd believe it. Yeah. I'd absolutely believe it. But it seems more likely than people finding us funny. Yes. Oh, that was really if hard. And we... you eat that with moldy shark? If we finish this podcast having never, like, done an on-screen chunder, I think that's quite impressive. Going on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> so... Harry's still running through school. He's now in the entrance hall and we get some lovely symbolism of the Gryffindor hourglass being broken into um, and the rubies falling everywhere, which is like the symbolism of the end of childhood innocence with like, because every other book, even the like four and five where we had like big deaths, it still mentioned that Gryffindor win the house cup, like, and that yeah. Harry gets, like, even when Harry goes to the ministry, he gets points, I think, unless I misremembered that. So, like, there's still, there's always this end of book thing, and and somebody wins the house cup, yay! Yeah. And to have the hourglass broken open is fully like, fuck your childhood's gone. Like, yeah. Done. And there's like another one that we can talk about later when it comes up. I think it's probably in the next chapter when Harry doesn't have his end of school year debrief with Dumbledore and it's McGonagall instead. It's like, this is when like we really start to be like, okay, we are deviating Massively. from the formula. Yeah. And it's like a really scary thing yeah. for books and TV shows, anything films to have to do is when you get to that point where you're like, oh shit, like, we have to break. And it's, like, typically when it's any show that's around, like, school, university, anything like that, because um, a lot of things really go downhill when they have to do that, like, yeah. change. Like, there's very few things that have managed to do it well. I think Buffy did it really quite well mm. when they went from being, like, high school students to college students to yeah. leaving college. It did it quite well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else... Gilmore Girls does it, but the first three seasons are definitely the best, so oh, yeah. it doesn't do it fantastically. Because, yeah. yeah, I think the majority of things do it badly, or not even do it badly. It's just, it's hard as, like, a reader or a watcher. Like, I think 
the Hunger Games, whilst it's brilliant, it does suffer. The third one does suffer from the fact that it doesn't like, have a Hunger Games in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like in, a, I know you get to argue that in a way it does because yeah, actually the war in itself, blah blah blah. But it, it's still not the same. Yeah, it's interesting that we're like, okay, we're not getting the Hogwarts school year yeah. next year like this, and I mean we can. Do, we we will talk about the seventh book when we get to it, but I think that there's like stuff about it that works and stuff about it that doesn't. I think that I think people give it way too much flack. I agree. I think it's actually fantastic for what it is, and the bits that people don't like, I think they're misremembering or making a bigger deal out of things than they are. Yeah, I think my biggest issue with it is the pacing in some bits. The pacing is bad, slow. yeah. Um, but aside from that, I think it's like a relatively successful attempt at breaking from the formula that we know, which is always going to be an uncomfortable thing. Especially because you've got the fantastic symbolism of going back to the school and it being the site of a battleground. Like, it's... it's, it's yeah. yeah. But yeah, like, I do like here we've got all these symbols in these chapters of the end, the end, the end. We're being told it over and over and over again so that when we get to that final page of the last chapter of I'm not coming back next year, although you're like, oh, it shouldn't be a shock because we've watched the hourglass break in half, we've watched McGonagall do the end of term speech, you've got the phoenix flying away, you've got all these symbols over and over again mm. of the end of childhood. They're in the grounds. Well, Hagrid emerges to try to help, but Harry ignores him and keeps running after Snape and Malfoy. He's aiming curses at Snape over and over again and just kind of missing or failing because, right, the thing is, can you imagine Snape running? Because I can't. Black coat billowing out behind him, his greasy hair billowing out behind him. I just can't see it. I can, like, imagine him going down, like, a slip and slide made of his own hair grease. Yeah, but I can't imagine him sprinting through the grounds. And also, do wizards have to hike their robes up when they sprint? You know when you watch period dramas (laughs) and the ladies hitch their skirts up to run and it's like, oh, she's got her ankles out. Is it the same in the wizarding world? Yes, we get to see Snape's slutty little ankles. Because surely you can't run with robes. We're told they're foot-length. yeah. Hitch those up. Do you think they get like um, thigh chafing? Do you reckon they've got a spell? No, because they're wearing long johns. We've discussed this. Real wizards wear long johns. <laughs> Hashtag. That's what we decided. <laughs> okay, fair. But yeah, Harry's being a bit useless. Yeah. He tries the Cruciatus curse, which I find interesting that he will use unforgivable curses for people who he thinks deserves it. Snape is said to parry. The Cruciatus Curse. Now, I swear to God, it was established in book four that you cannot block an unforgivable curse. You can, like, dodge them, but you mm. can't block it. So what does parry mean? Because it sounds to me like block it. Like, when you parry something with a sword, you're blocking it with another yeah. sword, right? Yeah. Or was it just the killing curse that you can't? I don't know. Mm. I do not know. We have a bit that I really like where... From Harry's point of view, he says that one of the Death Eaters, and he assumes that it's Snape, he's like, Snape starts to crucio him. And then he thinks that he's going to be tortured to death or madness. But uh, but he says it in a way where he's like, I know I'm going to be tortured to death or madness, which like, bit of leap. Like, <laughs> you're just you know, like, he's doing crucio on you. That doesn't mean it's to death or madness. But I just, I find it again, like, a bit of maybe not even necessarily like under... Uh, unreliable narration but it's just like a technique that i really like when writers do a thing where because it's from a character's point of view 
you hear about their assumptions, even when that doesn't happen. It's something that Patrick Rothfuss does a lot mm. in Name of the Wind. That's quite satisfying where it will say, because it's like him retelling his story or something. Sure. And he'll be like, like, there's a moment, this really, this is such minor spoilers, where he'll be like, I can't remember the exact phrasing, obviously, but he's like, and then like, I saw it, like I knew it was a dragon. And you're like, oh, what? There's a dragon. And he's like telling a story and saying that. And then it's like the next chapter and he's like, and then I realized it was actually just a really big lizard. <laughs> like, And you're like, I just quite like it. It's like, a, you hear about things and they're like absolutely convinced that something's going to happen mm. or something is the truth. But obviously it's because it's from that character's point of view. Mm. Um, I just, I find it an interesting technique. So you're saying that Harry being convinced he's going to be... Yeah, because he one, he thinks it's Snape. And then mm. two, he thinks that he's going to be cruel, tortured to death or madness. And it's like, neither of those things are actually true. But the way that it's said in the text is like, Harry knows this as a fact. Yeah, yeah. And it is also quite interesting because then Snape yells no, which is clearly him actually being like no like don't, don't torture, torture him. him but he covers it up by being like we have orders like, like leave the boy or whatever yeah which as i mentioned in the last episode don't make the most sense because yeah you need to live him leave him to be killed but capture him and get take a big net him. get a big net so like yes if you when you reread it you can tell snape is on the good side that is trying to protect harry you know what Voldemort never tried and really should have like screw all these like elaborate plans Harry is a dumb bitch enough that Voldemort should have just like pulled up to the back of Hogwarts with like a white van and like just hand drawn poster on the side like free Quidditch supplies yeah free broomstick yeah like should have done like a silence of the land like oh will you help me carry this into the van and then just yeah. shut the doors as we always say Voldemort tries way too much mag magical shit. Throw the baby out the fucking window. Literally eat it. It is a one-year-old. It's so easy to kill babies. Goblet of wine. The big blonde Death Eater sets Hagrid's hut on fire with fang inside. It's not okay. It's really not okay. I think I wrote that it's meant to show like the depth of evil because like there is a thing in books where like, oh yeah, we can cope with like humans being tortured, but you've set a fucking dog on fire? Are you mad? To quote the iconic <laughs> bit in community when Britta's like, um, racism I can excuse, but I draw the line like, at animal cruelty. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, you've set the dog on fire. God, you mean these Nazis aren't nice to dogs? I can't believe they're bad people. Exactly. But also like, this is Hagrid's home. Like it is not like, although the school is a lot of people's home, this is Hagrid's only home and they've yeah. set it on fire. It's like, no one will ever be safe again. This is truly... Burn, baby, burn. burn. Disco Inferno. Um, Snape goads Harry. Rather than just running away, he begins to goad Harry. He literally, he's like, nah, 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 nah. He's like, don't try the Kushi artist curse on me, la, la, la. And brings up, James. So I was like, why? Why not just run? Like, your only aim is to get out. Presumably he's turned around to stop the other Death Eaters killing Harry. But is it that he's determined to convince Harry of his part too? Like, to bring up James? Or is it that in this moment he's so angry, like, at the world, at Harry, at Dumbledore for making him do what he just did? Like, bear in mind the man is still emotionally recovering, hasn't recovered in the slightest from just killing his only, like, mentor and friend. He must be 
furious at everyone and everything right now so he's lashing out like yeah. at harry despite the fact he is trying to save his life he's still like your fucking father this yeah your mum <laughs> love your mum yeah but yeah because then harry starts to try to use like septum semper and stuff against him and he's like you dare use my own spells against me like dun, father dun, dun. yes he calls james filthy as well your filthy father Dirty. which is interesting because he uses the word filthy when he calls uh lillian mudblood right yeah or is that Draco that uses the word filthy? Filthy mudblood. But yeah, it's an interesting use of the word again for yeah. a father. Dirty daddy. But he's so bitter about James like using his spells. Like, So I was actually thinking that I think this opens up some like really interesting headcanon-y stuff about James. Because as we know, it's something that like in the text Harry has to deal with, like this notion that his father is a bully. Yeah. And... As well, I think like we struggle with it from a reader's point of view because all we go from seeing is James as this horrible bully to then, and Lily hating him, to all of a sudden they're like married with a child by like 21. Yeah. It's really weird that it goes that fast and it can feel quite jarring. But I kind of, and I only just thought about this when I was doing this reading, thought about like, what if, what if it's like they like, Sirius and James found out about like Snape's spells mm -hmm. and stuff because he was using them and being an evil little shed shithead and like spreading them around shed school. Head, yeah. Shithead. So maybe like them doing the whole Lever Corpus and stuff like that is like, yes, obviously it's still bullying, but what if it was like their way of being like, hey, like. We know your secrets. No, not we know your secrets, but like this is fucking wrong. This yeah. is a taste of your own medicine. Like yeah. you shouldn't be making up these spells and using them on people. Yeah. So we're going to do it back to you as like teach yeah. your lesson, taste of your own medicine. Like obviously it's still like bullying what we see, but like it just kind of adds like a different context to it, knowing that Snape was going around like spreading these spells. Yeah. It's also. I think the whole thing, the fact that we never get loads of impartial insight into that childhood, we only get these flashes of memory from different people's perspective, is a really good way narratively of showing like how unreliable A, different people's memories are, but B, how unreliable it is to go off one moment. Because mm. if you could take one moment from when Harry, Ron and Hermione are talking and you get one where, you know, Ron is ragging on Hermione or or Harry's lashing out at them. Yeah. You could walk away from that and be like, well, Harry's a bully, Harry's a dickhead, well, Ron's a horrible person because you're not yes. getting the full picture. And I quite like almost that that's never rectified because it's like, yeah, James doesn't have to be an angel or a fantastic person. He was just a person. Yeah, it's then hard to wrap your head around how end of book five, Lily's saying she never wants to see him again. And by end of book seven, they're planning on getting married like a year later, but we move apparently. Yeah. Harry then says to Snape, kill me then, kill me like you killed him, like James, and then calls him a coward, which... Yeah. Ooh. Say what you want about Snape. That's the one thing he's not. Exactly. He's not a coward. Exactly. And this is what makes him most angry. Snape's face then contorts in absolute rage. And I think part of it is like the frustration that he's killed the one person that has ever understood how much he's risked his life, how non-cowardly he is, and how much he regrets 
what he did. Like, yeah, he doesn't regret killing James because it was James. He regrets it because it was Lily, but it still ruined his entire life and no one will ever understand him while he's alive. And he knows that. He knows he's not going to get out of this alive. Yeah. He knows that. Mm -hmm. So he's going to die thinking that everybody despises him and thinks he's a coward. That sucks. So yeah, no wonder this is the moment he gets the most angry. He then runs away. He hits Harry with another spell. I don't know what it is, but Harry's wand goes flying. Um, and he runs away. And bless Harry. Harry's like, oh, okay, I can't get him. Must help Hagrid. Must help Fang. Like, yeah, Harry's a good egg. Fang's alive. Yay. Thank God. It's a dog. Do you know there's a website called um, Does the Dog Die? So, no, no, it's now turned into like a fantastic crowdsource website for content warnings and films. Oh, brilliant. So it started off as you could type any film in it and it'll tell you, does the dog die in it? Like, does because some people like really don't want to watch that shit. But then it like I exclusively want to watch, watch things where dogs, where the dogs die. die. But then it turned into like they started adding other things, other things, other things. So, like, for me, I could go in there and put in uh, dementia and it will show up like if that film has dementia. So I don't want to watch that. If like, obviously a lot of people are sensitive about parents dying and things like that. So you can put anything in and it'll tell you the content warnings for it. But I just love that it started off as a, does the dog die joke? Yeah. And now it's like a fantastic crowdsource content warning website. Nice. Check it out. So Hagrid distinguishes his house. And distinguishes? Just extinguishes. Correct. <laughs> it's a very distinguished house. <laughs> That was not my only look at that distinguished moment in this sentence. Gentlemen, look at yes. the way he is sitting. And then he says something about like nothing that Dumbledore won't be able to put right. Only I wrote nothing Gumbledore won't be able to put right. Gumbledore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he won't believe. And then Harry's like, Hagrid. Hagrid. Dumbledore's dead and Hagrid's like, no, no, no you silly little boy. <laughs> he just boy. starts to gaslight Yeah, him. he's probably like, you've hit your head yeah. really hard, babe. You've had a long day. Yeah, you've had a lot to drink. We know you yeah. were in the pub for five hours. And Harry is now finally going numb with horror and shock, which like, I always like these descriptions of Harry going through these big emotional moments because I think they're written quite realistically. Like he saw it happen and then he was on full active mode and now he's like, Oh no. Mm. Oh no. And he's feeling he's feeling his feelings. Yeah. So Dumbledore's body is just at the foot of the tower. It must be so fucking broken and gross. Like Harry says, apart from the angle of his limbs, it could be like he was sleeping. No. No, it couldn't. This is, I presume, a 12-story high tower. Fuck off, does it look like he's sleeping? Yeah. Surely that's a really mushy, flattened body. This is also so real and finite. Um, and this is where you're like, ah. It's that classic thing of like the Game of Thrones thing. If like, ah, if I haven't seen the body, I do not believe they're dead. And now it's like, oh, there's a literal dead body right there. Like he's definitely dead. He's dead in front of his own school and legacy. And the body is just left behind for his pupils to find. Like it's fucking dark and real. Yeah, especially seeing like such an epic character brought so low. So like, low. it's like the least dignified end, and such a statement of like, this was such a like huge, intelligent, old, powerful wizard, and now he is a frail, crumpled old man. Yeah. At the bottom of a tower. Yeah. Like, lying in the mud. For his pupils to come across him and find in the dark. 
And also, like, something I really like about Harry Potter that book seven does fantastically and then the film fucking ruins is when someone dies, all that mythology is taken from them. Like, yes, he was the greatest wizard of all time and now he's just a crumpled man lying on the floor, which is what's then done with Voldemort. And it's fucking fantastic. Like, yeah. All of that is gone and you're just looking at a body. Yeah. Were you sad when you first read it? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I really don't have many memories of reading the sixth, which is funny because I have so many memories of reading the fifth and reading the seventh. Like, mm. but really, drunk? Well, <laughs> due to the fact I was nine, I don't think so. Were you drunk? Yeah, well, I don't remember. I don't remember. Mm, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I never really liked Dumbledore even before I had like the, mm. like not intelligence but like experience to like read him as a great character i just never particularly liked him what i'm also trying to remember is whether it was spoiled for me because obviously it was a huge thing on the early internet that people put that night after snape the midnight release snape killed dumbledore on page la 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 i'm yeah. not sure if it was spoiled for me i can't remember i don't think it was yeah i think by that point i was like getting to them pretty quickly yeah i think because seven took me I think two days to read so six can't could only have been like three or four yeah I imagine i don't remember we used to get them delivered because my mom was like they'll be sold out in bookshops so we used to get them delivered the morning mm. they came out which was yeah. fun we used to go get them but it was always really annoying because well it got better because by the middle ones because obviously the first ones i read way after because of dyslexia by the middle ones it kind of got to the point where I was still slow, slow at reading. I would have to wait for my sister and then my mum and then I would get the copy mm. last. But then by like the last couple or definitely the last one, it went my sister and she would finish it in a day yeah. and then it would go to me and then my mum. That was the thing. Six, I do remember this. Six was the, the, the one I got first. So fifth was still mum, dad, me. And by six, I had overtaken them both and they yeah. let me have it first because they were like, this is actually meant for children. We should probably give it to her first. Yeah. Bless them. Yeah. I just, oh, I remember like, I remember back with the first ones when I'd have to wait in the library queue for the audiobooks, mm. and it would take months yep. and it was fucking torture. Yeah. It Ugh. was so yeah yeah oh. awful um, I, it's it's mad because like i know everyone talks about it and that was part of the cultural phenomenon of harry potter but like there's nothing like that sense of no. that like who's gonna get the copy midnight releases like yeah. obviously there is excitement about books nowadays do not get me wrong but not that yeah and the thing is i think the thing that would have come closest would have been game of thrones had the next couple of books been published when the show was still going george why <laughs> Right, George, you let's, are a very old man. Let's just lock George and Patrick Rothfuss just in a room together with like typewriters and just. I uh, Neil has a theory that George R. R. Martin is actually hoping he'll die before he finishes the books at this point because he's written himself into such a corner. This is on. This is what I think about. I can't. I'm. I'm absolutely convinced that I have worked out about ninety percent of the third name of the wind because it's like it's so incredibly foreshadowy it's not one of those books it's not like a steve Moffat, and then he pulled out his wiggly stick and ooh, everything was it's like fucking in there like there is law there is foreshadowing there's yeah. like hints dropped here and there there's even like a summary of the what happens on the back of the first book that's mm. how it's like 
written he's like i did this i did this i did this i did this and then it's telling him the story of doing those things Mm. so i'm pretty sure that i've worked out a huge amount off it and i don't think the timelines work Mm. at least to keep it as a trilogy but i'm like if that's the issue just because you said it's a trilogy doesn't matter just make it four books well yeah i think that george r r martin created this fantastic world yes he knows how he wants to end it because he told benny off advice but he's now written it too big and by the fifth book and he's like i don't know how i'm gonna i don't i've said there's two more how the fuck am i gonna bring it all back together he's gone way too wide with it but yeah you're right i think that's that's where this this like phenomenal hype would be and that's almost where like the pressure not to give her like compliments but the pressure on jk rowling must have been huge and intense because these other authors the actually that's kind of interesting these male authors are left alone to like give them the time they need for this book but probably because it was ya books so she had a growing up audience she was forced to write them pretty damn fast like really fast for how big they are yeah really fast yeah like yeah it slowed down a bit and it was every two years by the end but still like that's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, no. So Harry kneels on the locket. Mm. And I find it so funny that it was just lying there. Could you imagine I thought the same if thing a random to... student had come across and be like, oh, that's pretty. Or if it hadn't fallen out and Harry at some point realised he needs oh, to find God. it and has to rummage through dead Dumbledore's pockets... No, I just really laughed at the idea of just some little first year girl being like, oh, pretty. pretty. Yeah. Rummage through the pockets. And also, like, thank God the Death Eaters didn't take the body. Yeah. If they'd taken the body, we'd lose the locket. And yes, it's not the real locket, but we kind of need to know that. Yeah, exactly. Because then we get, honestly, a sicker twist has never been written. Like, Jesus Christ, this is cruel and horrible. Hmm. The locket is not the real locket. Harry knows the moment he picks it up, it feels wrong and it looks wrong. He opens it and there's a note inside that says, I have taken the real locket in hopes of destroying you. By the time you read this, I will be dead, but you will be one step closer to being a mortal man, R-A-B. This is the cruelest thing to... Like, this is fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. It it's was all for so nothing. Savage. It was all for nothing. Well, not really, because it in the end does help them track them down. But at this moment, it feels like yeah. completely pointless. Yeah, it's ah, oh, it's good. I hate it. Oh, I hate it, but it's good. It's good. It's the same. It's actually a very similar feeling to sorry. Massive Hunger Games spoiler is about to come up. So if you don't know the ending of Hunger Games, please skip. But it's the same feeling I got when you read the bit where Prim dies, and you're like, what? Like, obviously, it's for something because the entire world changed. This is the same thing. Yes, the bigger picture is something, but the actual in the moment bit is like, what was it for? What was the point? What was the point of them dying? What was the point of everything that happened? Mm. It hurts. Yeah. And it's also in a moment where Harry's lost his, like, guide figure, his mentor, his teacher. And it kind of, he's just left feeling like, what do I know? I'm not ready. I still needed him for so much. I still don't know what I'm doing. Yep. Opens the locket and I'm back to square one. Yeah. I don't even have the locket. I don't even have the locket. But to be fair, if it was the real locket, Dumbledore, who knew he only had weeks left to live, has not left Harry instructions of how to destroy it. So in Dumbledore's mind, they were getting a Horcrux tonight. Dumbledore could not have predicted this in the slightest. Mm-hmm. 
And yes, he thought he was going to live longer than tonight. He thought he could. I presume he was saving that lesson of, and now we shall destroy it together, Harry. And let me tell you the ways you destroy a Horcrux. But for God's sake, let him know that information earlier when you know you've got weeks to live, man. Come on. Yeah. Like, poor, piss poor planning from Dumbledore. Something else I find absolutely heartbreaking, which I've never, ever, ever realised before. Voldemort never learns of Regulus's betrayal. Has he not? No. I mean, he knew that he... He didn't learn of this specific one, but he did know that he... Mm-mm. But I thought he killed him. Mm-mm. How did Reg Regulus gets dragged into the water by Inferi. Creature watches him gets dragged under the water by the Inferi and die. I just have completely misremembered that. So, from Voldemort's perspective, Regulus just like ran away and died or like killed himself or something. Oh. So, but Voldemort doesn't know that he went to get the locket because when Voldemort goes and checks on the locket at the end of book seven, he's really angry to find out yeah. it's gone. So he doesn't know it's a fake locket in there, which means, and Harry never tells him, I don't think in that big speech at the end, Regulus comes up. Oh, I think, is there a bit when... I feel like Sirius tells Harry that Regulus like was a coward and left Voldemort and yep. got killed for it. So yeah. I think that's what I'm remembering because obviously that's what Sirius does, does think does believe has happened. So yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, is Sirius's like incorrect belief that that's what happened? Exactly. So, but that's also heartbreaking. Sirius dies, not knowing yeah. that Regulus tried to defeat Voldemort. And Harry never tells Voldemort. So Voldemort dies not knowing about Regulus was a huge part in... Actually, Regulus didn't help in the slightest because he now has to look for the locket twice. It's actually like made it 10 times harder. Yeah. But like Regulus was trying to defeat him. I just find it really sad that like the and only... Regulus like maybe could have told some people. <laughs> the only told creature that's not helpful. Yeah. Like, you know, be really handy if maybe he had a brother in the Order of the Phoenix that he could tell. Yeah. Yep, yep. And maybe you could have passed that information on the Horcruxes onto the Order of the Phoenix as yep. well as letting them know what you were doing. Yeah. Just write it on a bit of paper as you're going. Fair enough, you don't want to risk yeah. communicating it. But just write it on a bit of paper in your bedroom. Yeah. Send an owl to Sirius that only arrives after you've died. Yeah. Think it through, Regulus. But and like I imagine, and I think we know that Harry sets the record straight on like Snape and all these people who were on different sides. So like Regulus will be remembered as someone who tried to defeat the Dark Lord. But the two most important people that should have known, Sirius and Voldemort, never know this piece of information. Yeah. And that's really heartbreaking. Uh, this is again, again another thing that like... I mean, obviously, I don't actually want us to ever get anything more orders. But, like, if we did, like, that this could, like, it could go as far as to then explore. Yeah. Like, even if you had to condense the timelines a bit. Yeah. Like, but actually, like, exploring Regulus's background. Yeah. Would be so interesting. You've got to read. You've got to read all the young dudes. You've got to you gotta oh, do okay. it. Regulus yeah. and that. Yeah. You've got to do it. I will eventually. Um, it's now what I'm taking this canon. Um. <laughs> nice um yeah and one day far in the future many 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 years from now i hope jk rowling is dead or not part of it anymore and some loving people make a marauders based thing because it would be fabulous they could make all the young dudes <sighs> or like taking the best bits from all the young dudes and all these other fantastic piece of fan fiction works are out there about the Marauders. Like there's so many good ideas mm. around there. Imagine if you could get a board of writers that is made up of these fan fiction authors to like all sit together. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. And us as creative directors. 
Oh yeah. Harry cries. Yay! Yay! Men can cry. Thank it's God, okay. it's a horrible moment. You should cry. Yeah. Well done, um, Harry. It is frustrating that it took him that long. Well, it took J.K. that long to let Harry cry. Yeah. <sighs> And that's actually loads of people crying in this book. We're about to get everyone crying at the funeral scene, including Ron, who about, I don't think we've ever seen cry. It's about to get moist. Moist up in here. And that's that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. We have a fantastic question, but that I'm going to need to think about a bit. Yeah, let's take five. Okay, we're taking five. Helena, who is a uh, $10 above tier Patreon, uh, asked us a question, which we're now going to answer. The question was fantastic. It was, but cruel. It was, if you were only able to listen to 10 Taylor Swift songs for the rest of your life, which ones would they be? Yes. So one, this isn't, don't hold us to this. Don't hold me to this. We've done this in about five minutes. And two, it is, I do agree, it's slightly a different question to what are your favourite ones. Yeah, so I was, I yeah, like, there's a lot of overlap, naturally. Naturally, but I think it is an ever so slightly different question to what are yeah. your top 10 favourite Taylor Swift songs. We have both done this fast, which I think is good. Sometimes you can get too indecisive yeah. with things. Sometimes you've just got to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go first? Sure. Okay. Okay. I, I put my albums in there and found some interesting statistics. Okay, I'm going to do that after. Okay. This is in no order, but would have, could have, should have. Nice. This is me trying. <sighs> it's like just raced up there for yeah. me. Yeah. Or too well, obviously. obviously. Ten minute version. Dear John. Oh, you once texted me, I hate Dear John, it, it's it was boring. A grower. Yeah, I think it me- melody-wise, it is quite boring. It's like you have to get into the lyrics. You do, you do. Nobody, no crime. Ooh! This one I think you might be surprised by and potentially disagree with, but we are never, ever getting back together. That's a bold choice for your, your 10, but okay. Because it's the 10 you could only listen to. And I think that is a great breakup song. Mm. That's like, you, yeah, you're right. You've you got to cover to different. Angry, yeah, you've got to go, cover the Because I was kind of imagining 10, if I could only listen to those, as if I was trapped on a desert island. But I should have been thinking of different moments Practical. in my life. Practical. You've got to think strategic. strategic. The Last Great American Dynasty. Obviously. Number eight comes with a massive disclaimer. It is a picture to burn, but specifically the homophobic version. Can you even listen to that? Where do you have that? <laughs> I just hear it on TikTok. Oh, right. It's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's on YouTube as well. It will be somewhere. Number nine. The last two I was like... Panicking. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I I'm fairly confident on them, but they're the ones I'm least confident on. Number nine, Tim McGraw. You've got two debuts on there. I know. And then number 10, I Bet You Think About Me. Nice. I love I Bet You Think About Me. Yeah. I love that. Um, we only have one crossover song. No. I know. All too, I, well. All too well. It's got to be done. I was, Especially because it's 10 minutes, minutes long. long. I'm really shocked we only have I'm one really crossover. I'm really shocked. Ron crossover. Um, yeah. Again, disclaimers, this isn't my final one. I decided this quite fast. Um, some I'm interesting, missing, but I'm going to do the album. Some interesting stats from mine. I did try to cover almost every album because I was like, I want to get like a well-rounded thing if I can only listen to 10 songs again. But Debut does not appear. Wow. I think Debut is one of her best. I do love Debut, but it does not appear. And really shockingly, 1989 does not appear on this list. You're making some bold choices. This is not in order. All too well. 
10 minute version. Cruel Summer. Mm-hmm. You have to react. I reacted to yours. August. Mm-hmm. 15. Yeah. Enchanted inspired this tattoo. Gotta be on there. Yeah. Long live. Mm-hmm. Treacherous. I feel like you're going for lots of similar emotions. Like. Yeah, you know, the breakness of All Too Well versus the absolute hype of Cruel Summer. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, Treacherous, which I adore the Red album. Never used to be that far up there for me. That's a that's a that's a grower. Getaway car. Nice. Champagne problems. Nice. And you're on your own, kid. Yeah. That's good list. I am surprised we didn't have more. I know overlap uh, i cut i did write 15 and i cut cut some off um i cut out blank space which was funny enough 1989 always ranks really highly for me in terms of albums but then doesn't rank as highly in terms of individual songs which is why that new thing's going on on tiktok where you do like the maths of the taylor swift yeah. albums which i find fascinating yeah i do want to do that yeah same like because i at one point i want to do like a full chronological listen mm, like fun because i've never done that Okay, I'm I'm not surprised by mine. So my top ones are Red with three. I'm not surprised by that. Um, Midnights with two and Debut with two. Nice. I find that unsurprising. Mm. I'm am surprised about no 1819. 18, 1980. 1989. <laughs> I do that every time. 1989. Every time I always say 80. It'd be a very different album. Um, <laughs> I am surprised by the lack of that. Yeah, same. Um, I have two speak nows, two reds, and then it's uh, an even split of everything else. Yeah. I've got one Evermore, one Folklore. Yep. But yeah, apparently I'm a red Midnight's debut girly. I see that. I see I that. I am a red girly, definitely. Um, red is... What a brilliant thing. If we haven't... Have we asked a question? Can our listeners answer this one? Yes! yes. Uh, yeah, if you're listening on Spotify, go and answer this question for us. Don't spend too long thinking about it. We have to think in five minutes. Yeah. Give you, set a timer for your minutes. And just do it. Um, thank you, Helena. That's a really fantastic question. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Two chapters to go. Woo! Bye. I don't know why I'm winking so much this episode. Yeah, it's quite disconcerting. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Yolanda, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Patrick, Michael, Kylie, Cara and Molly, Jasmine, and Florian. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind the scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.